0: Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the blessing that it is to be here. We thank you for the freedom that we have to come and worship you. And Lord, we praise you for who you are, the lion and the lamb. We praise you for what you have done for us and how you have cared for us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are. Lord, this morning we pray that in light of that, in light of who you are and what you call us to do in light of that, we pray that you would change us. Lord, speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us to know your direction for our lives and help us in that knowledge to have the courage and the strength to live in the change that you call us to. To be the men and women of God that we are all called to be. We thank you, Lord. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, he is coming. I'm going to get to stand here. And despite this crowd, I am hoping with all that I am, I hope that maybe I'll reach out and maybe he'll shake my hand today. I'm just so excited. I, this man is such a role model to me. I, I just dream one day that maybe I could be just a little bit like him. Oh, I'm just I'm just excited. It's, it's such an opportunity to be so close to someone so great, someone so important. Maybe, maybe he'll touch my hand. Maybe. Maybe he'll autograph something for me. Wouldn't that be great if, if I handed him something and he stopped and... and uh, I, I'm, I'm rambling. I'm, I'm dreaming now, but still he's coming. Uh, they say that he's a God speaker. They say that God literally speaks through him. Isn't that something? That, that, that this man hears from God himself and tells people what God wants them to do. Some say that he just mysteriously arrived in our country and that there was no rhyme or reason that he just ended up here. Some say that he ended up here because God sent him here with a purpose. Oh, I just get shivers thinking about it. I'm just so excited. They say that he is so close to God that he has turned away from temptations that all the rest of us would have just fallen right into. They say that when he was younger, when he was a young man that one of the celebrities in town tried to make moves on him and she wanted him to be with her at even though she was beautiful and a celebrity and famous and rich and could have given him more power, that he turned her away because he was so close to his God. Oh, I couldn't have done that. They say that everywhere he goes, people around him change. They say that when he comes into a, a setting, that people look to him immediately, whether they know him or not, whether they know who he is and his reputation, they say that they immediately look to him to lead them because there's something different about him. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. He's going to come by on his chariot in all his glory. It's going to be amazing. With all the things that they say, I know one thing. I know one fact about him, and that's this. Without him, my family and I would not be alive today. Without him, I would have had to watch my two boys starve to death. Without him, my wife and I would not have survived. Because you see, right now, Our nation is the only prosperous nation in all the world because of this famine. Because God sent this man to come and get us ready for the famine that was coming. And I have food on my table because of this man, because of what God is doing in this man. So, the fact that I see him as a celebrity and i want to touch his hand i want to touch his hand because he has touched my life the story of joseph is what we're looking at today so take your bibles your apps whatever you read on and i want you to turn to genesis chapter 39 Genesis chapter 39, we're continuing in this series called Empowered, where we are looking at the lives of some men and women throughout the Bible who God used in a powerful way by empowering them through faith. And today we're talking about Joseph. Now, as you're turning to Genesis 39, let me catch you up with where we've gone up to this point. So if you were to read the book of Genesis from the beginning up to chapter 39 where we're at today, you would read about creation, you would read about Adam and Eve... And what happened with them in the garden, you'd read about Cain and Abel and and how sin began to really affect creation. You would see as you journeyed further into Genesis towards chapter 7, you would start seeing how sin had contaminated all of earth and that's when God brings Noah onto the scene to do a hard reset is what I like to call it. Then after Noah, we read about how the world started to populate again. And along comes a a man named Abram, who we will later know as Abraham. And God does an amazing work through Abraham. I preached on him a few weeks ago. Um, And he has a son named Isaac. And Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah. They have two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau have a, a tumultuous relationship I preached on Jacob a few weeks ago as well. Uh, and then we get to Jacob's lineage, and that's where we're at today, Jacob's sons. Jacob ends up having 12 sons, and Joseph is one of the 12. He's not just one of the 12. Joseph is, one, uh, is the firstborn of jo- Jacob's favorite wife. So, Jacob had several wives. His favorite wife, Rachel, was barren for many years. And finally, she has a son named Joseph. And Joseph quickly becomes the favorite son of Jacob. And so, Joseph begins to live the life of being the spoiled son. Now, here's where the story begins to get interesting Jacob gives Joseph a coat, a robe. That is very ornate. It's got many colors in it. And back then, fabric and colored fabrics were very, very expensive. They were actually used as currency by the people of this day and time. Uh, that's why we read in the book of Judges when Samson makes deals with some of the Palestinians, he makes deals for clothing. He would exchange clothing if they couldn't figure out the riddle that, they, that he had given them. Clothing was very, very expensive, especially colored clothing. And the the Hebrew text here in Genesis tells us that Joseph's robe was a multicolor robe. We know that it's actually probably a step further. It was probably the family robe of honor. Back then, a family would have some kind of significant article, like a piece of clothing, or a ring, or a scepter, or something along those lines, to designate who was going to receive the inheritance. Now, the tradition stated that the eldest born son was the one to receive the inheritance, but in Jacob's case, what does he do? He gives Joseph, one of the youngest sons, this robe. And it's many believe that this robe was actually a signet a a signal, a symbol of what Jacob was doing by passing on his inheritance, not to the eldest born son, but to Joseph. So imagine for just a moment, you're one of 12 sons. And there's an order, there's an expected tradition about the way things are being done. And then along comes this young brother of yours and your dad gives him the symbol of inheritance instead of the oldest son. Everyone, all those brothers grew jealous of Jacob. Then Jacob begins having dreams. He has two that are recorded right here in Genesis. And in these dreams, they basically symbolize these two dreams that the brothers, the 11 brothers, are going to bow down to Joseph. And then he has another one that says the brothers and the mothers and fathers are going to bow down to him. And Joseph, in his young immaturity, no offense, tells these dreams to his brothers. And his brothers grow very angry and jealous. He then goes and tells his father, and his father kind of has some question marks about it. Now, there are lessons to learn here. I'm going to take a side note for just a moment because I think we can learn something from this part of Joseph's story. First off, he got spoiled. Joseph got spoiled by his father Jacob. Parents and grandparents, listen to me. Don't spoil your children. What do you end up with when you get a spoiled child? You get a brat. You get a know-it-all. You get someone that is not going to be able to grow up and be a responsible, godly adult. So parents, don't spoil your child. Grandparents, here's a hard one. Please adhere to the standards that your children have on your grandchildren. If your children have a grandchild and you come to spoil them, spoiling's okay, don't get me wrong, but do it within godly measures. Don't go beyond the limits that your children have set as parents to their kids. Don't ruin, don't mess up the good work that your kids are trying to do with their kids. That's the line. So if your children are trying to raise their kids a certain way, please respect that. Spoil them, don't get me wrong, but do it within reasonable limits. So, don't spoil your children. Secondly... Students, graduates, today is Graduate Sunday, and we honor them because they have worked very hard to get to this point. A word of wisdom to our graduates this morning. Be wise in your relationships. uh, Joseph had these dreams, and in that moment, realistically, godly, Joseph should have gone to someone that he looked up to and asked, what should I do with this? What should I think of these dreams? But instead, according to what we read in Genesis and according to ancient, ancient Hebrew scholars, these Jewish scholars that wrote about this passage, Jewish scholars looked at this particular part of Joseph's life and they said that Joseph was arrogant, prideful, and immature. And he was, wasn't he? If you had someone, especially your child... Come to you and say, hey, mom, dad, guess what? You're going to bow down to me one day. (sighs) That's what Joseph did. He was arrogant. He would not listen to the wisdom of those who had had more knowledge and more experience than him. So, graduates, be wise in your relationships. There are people who are going to cross your path that are going to have lots of experience and wisdom. Learn from that experience and wisdom. Don't think that you've got it all together and that you can't learn more. Look to those who can give you even more knowledge and wisdom in your path and your journey. So, which leads us into what happens next. Because of the jealousy, because of the strife that was taking place, Joseph ends up getting sold into slavery by his own brothers. He's sent out by his father to go check on him. They see him coming They beat him up, throw him in a pit, and as they're trying to figure out what to do next with him, a band of slave traders comes by, and they go, you know what? Let's sell him. Great idea. And so he's sold. They send him to Egypt, and he is sold into a man's house, a nobleman, a a man of great power uh, in that day and time in the land of Egypt, a man named Potiphar. And that's where we're at in Genesis 39. So take your Bibles. Genesis 39, we're going to start in verse 6. Verse 6. Now, Potiphar has been very impressed with Joseph to the point that Joseph has been given charge over everything in Potiphar's house. He is the right-hand man to Potiphar. He's the guy who runs the home. And look at what happens in the midst of this. Verse 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, and with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns has in, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make a sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard my scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. And then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Crazy story, right? Pretty wild. You see, Joseph had some issues in his young adulthood, in his teenage years, with pride and arrogance. But we find out, as he grows, that he actually grows in wisdom and knowledge and integrity. You see, Joseph had strong integrity. He would not compromise on what God asked him to do. And here's what integrity is, because we're going to talk about integrity a lot this morning. Let me give you a definition. Integrity is when your actions reflect what you claim, no matter who you're with or if you're alone. Integrity is that consistent behavior that reflects what you believe. It doesn't matter who you're with, what crowd you're with, or if you're all by yourself and no one's around, or if you think that no one's going to find out, integrity is that consistent behavior that is reflective of what you think, what you believe, where your values are at. Joseph learned to have integrity. We see this in Genesis 39. So here's my statement, here's my big idea that I want you to walk away from uh, this morning with, and it's this. Integrity is the magnet that attracts people to Jesus. Integrity is the magnet that attracts people to Jesus. And let me explain what I mean by that. Graduates, integrity is very difficult. There are times when you are going to want to do the opposite of what integrity calls you to do. But integrity will get you more places, will open more doors... Then the quick fixes, then your, your quick, immediate desires will bring you. Integrity is doing the godly thing in ungodly circumstances. Look at the rest of Joseph's story, for example. So he's in prison. We find out that the prison guards, the leaders of the prison, are so impressed with Joseph that they make him the head of the prison. they were like, why do I have to do all this stuff? You're great at doing it. You handle it. And they put him in charge of all the prisoners. And then he begins interpreting dreams. A a baker and a cupbearer come to him and give him these dreams. And God gives him the interpretation of those dreams. And lo and behold, three days later, they come true. Exactly what Joseph said would happen, happens. And so then, one of the two, the cupbearer, ends up being put back in his place of honor, in his job. And a few years later, Pharaoh has two dreams. And he can't find anybody to interpret these two dreams. And then the cupbearer goes, oh, wait. There was that guy, that, that Hebrew dude in prison. He could interpret dreams. Hey, Pharaoh, guess what? I got a guy for you. And so they bring Joseph to Pharaoh. Now, think about it for just a moment. Pharaoh would have asked about this Joseph before he ever brought him into his court. He would have gone to the jailers and said, tell me a little bit about this Joseph guy that my cupbearer keeps talking about. And what would those jailers have told Pharaoh? That guy is genuine. He is full of integrity, so much so that he's in charge of everything. We supervise him, and he takes care of the job. We sit back as he does all the work because we can trust him. And so Joseph comes into Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh tells him the dreams. Joseph gives him an interpretation. And the interpretation is that for seven years, Egypt is going to just be wealthy like crazy. The crops are going to produce more than anybody could ever eat in a lifetime. And that seven years of prosperity is going to be followed by seven years of extreme famine. And Joseph makes a suggestion, which, think about this for a second. He is in the presence of Pharaoh, and he's giving advice to Pharaoh. And he tells Pharaoh, store up for seven years so that you have enough to make it through the next seven years and put someone in charge over it so that they can distribute it properly so that it lasts for the entire famine. And Pharaoh's words are this. Do we have anybody around that we can trust with that other than this guy right here that's from prison? And everybody goes, nope. And he goes, all right, Joseph, you're the man. You are in charge now. You are second over all of Egypt. The only person higher than you is myself. And he puts him in charge of everything. Now, we find out that in that, Joseph gives all the recognition and the glory to God. So if you fast forward to chapter 45... In chapter 45, verses 4 through 8, Joseph's brothers have returned, because they're in the famine also, and they're looking for food. They have money to exchange, and so they come to Joseph, not realizing that it's their brother, seeking food, buying food. Joseph recognizes them from a distance. There's this whole thing that happens where they kind of go back and forth twice. And there's this kind of deception that Joseph, this game that Joseph plays uh, with his brothers. He actually imprisons one of his brothers. Um, But at the end of that, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. And look at what he says about what has happened. Look in verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there have been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Who does Joseph give the recognition to? To God. In the midst of his integrity, in the midst of his trials, in the midst of his rising to power, who does he point to? He points to his God, He says God is the one who did this and here's the purpose behind that. He glorifies God for his suffering, doesn't he? In the midst of going to prison because he was falsely accused, being sold into slavery, all the bad stuff that happened to him through his life, he still glorifies God. He still points to him. And so integrity is, is the magnet that attracts people to Jesus. Integrity was the thing that attracted people to Joseph. He didn't compromise. He never claimed one thing but did another. He lived in integrity. What is so difficult about integrity? You see, if we don't live lives of character and integrity, we will never lead others to Jesus. Because why would anybody in the world... What would we have if we don't act like Jesus, if we're not different? So what's so difficult about integrity? Why is it so hard? Well, I think because every person on the face of the earth, to some extent, is a hypocrite. Aren't we? Not Christians alone. I'm talking every person has a problem of believing and saying one thing, yet doing another at some point in their life. Every person struggles at that point somewhere in the journey that they have in their life. So we're all hypocrites. You see, we think even today, even if you have moved past that time of being a hypocritical person, even if you've grown and matured, we still have this belief, maybe subconsciously, that there are exemptions to our integrity. Oh, there are times when I don't have to have integrity here. Or you know what? I'm just going to, in these circumstances, I'm going to allow my integrity to take a back seat so I can blow off some steam. Does this sound familiar? How many of us in this room have thought something along those lines? Let me give you some examples. Let's, get this, let's make this personal, shall we? Get your toes ready because I'm going to step on them a little bit. So let's, let's loosen it up. Get ready for it. There are areas that we generally have trouble lacking integrity. Let me point out three. The first one is that we claim to love, yet many times we live selfishly. How many of you struggle in this area when you're behind the wheel of a car? (laughs) We claim to love others, don't we? And yet, something about being encased in a metal cage with glass makes us just want to not love people, right? Someone does something that inconveniences us, or they do something even maybe that puts our life in danger, or or it's not really very safe, and what do we do with our integrity? You need to get back there because I'm going to... Right? Right? Is there anywhere in God's Word where it says your character can take a back seat when somebody wrongs you? No. But there's no one to hold us accountable when we're in a car because we're all alone usually. We're all by ourselves. Or someone who's with us knows us really well and we feel comfortable about letting go of that integrity. My wife will chime in with me. That... Right? If we claim to be a Christian and a person of love, when we pull our cars out of this parking lot, we should drive as loving people, shouldn't we? That's hard. Let me give you another example. When someone's different than you, and you ask those questions, well, should I go talk to them? Should I love on them in the name of Jesus? It'll be really uncomfortable because they're different than I am. I have a brother that is nine years younger than I am. And he spent many years in a Christian rock band touring the, the nation. And he is covered from ta- with tattoos from his knuckles up to his neck, all the way down to the tops of his feet. He only has a few square inches of space where you can see full patches of skin because he's just covered in it. He has big Gauged ears. In other words, he's got those big loops in it where his ear hangs down. He's got a big disc in there. Here's the thing in my little hometown of 8,000 people, my brother, despite the fact that he is a man of honesty and integrity, cannot walk into a church without covering his entire body. That is hypocrisy. That is integrity being thrown out the window because of personal opinion. If someone is different than you, that should drive you all the more to love them in the name of Jesus. Rather than shunning them or pushing them aside or thinking, you know, someone else can talk to them. I'm not that guy or I'm not that girl. No, if God has placed that person in your life, you're the one to show the love of Jesus to that person. Let me get another one on the phone with a customer service person, and you're having troubles. Have you ever been in one of these situations? You've been on hold for 30 minutes, and the guy comes online, he, got, he has a, a weird accent, and you say, I need this problem fixed. And he begins to start to assess, and it takes a long time, and what do we do? Our integrity takes a back seat because of our anger and our frustrations building up. Is that person on the other end of the line someone that God wants to know and wants to come into relationship with him? Absolutely. What about waiting in line for a long time? After church, almost every Sunday, I go and pick up groceries at the Walmart down on Pima. And I go down there. We do the pickup. We order online the night before you ever done this? It's amazing. You should check it out. It is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. (laughs) But you order online the night before, you arrange a pickup time, you go over there, you pull into a parking spot, and they bring the groceries out to you and load you up. It's awesome! (laughs) But almost every time I go over there, there's four or five cars waiting. And I kid you not, I'm not making this up. Two weeks ago, I pull in, I waited about 20 minutes, And she finally brought the groceries out and I hopped out and I popped my trunk and and started helping her and I asked her how her day was and blah, blah, blah. And we get done and she grabs her stuff to turn and she stops and turns and looks at me and she goes, you are the nicest person that we have on Sunday mornings. Did you know that? And I said, what is to be angry about over here? She goes, you'd be amazed how frustrated people get and how much time they have to wait. I said, I'm just thankful I don't have to walk through the store. But my integrity in the moment made an impression on her. What's the impression that you leave with people when things aren't as ideal as you would like them to be? What about stewardship or greed? How generous are we? Let me just call one thing out. When you go to a restaurant, do you tip? Do you tip for service or do you tip for Jesus? Do you know how much a server makes? After taxes, it's literally pennies. The only money they really make is off the tips that they get. I had a friend in high school named Kim, and me and my best friend Jeremy invited her to church on a regular basis. But she worked the lunch shift at a local Mexican restaurant, and she said to me one day, Chad, stop asking me, because I have no interest in church because Sunday lunch is the hardest day for a server because the people at Sunday lunch are the most demanding of any group during the week and they tip the lousiest. That is a lack of integrity, people. That is a lack of us saying we are going to be above those who do not know Christ. Have I stepped on your toes yet? I'm sorry if I have, but I'm not sorry that I have. Let me give you one more thing. Truth or manipulation We live in a society where we do a lot of communicating online, where where we exchange in workplaces. And the fact of the matter is, is that there are times when we think we cannot be Christ-like because of the setting. And let me just call it out. If you are online damaging the reputation of someone else, whether they are a national figure or a local figure or whoever, that is not God's love. I don't care what your political stances are. I don't care what your opinions are about someone someone else's views. We are never called to hurt somebody online, in face, or ever. And so if you struggle to be a kind, loving person online, maybe it's time to get offline. Because the fact is, people watch you because you claim to know Christ. I claim to know Christ. And they watch every word that we type online. And when we disparage someone else, when we're hurtful to someone else, what do you think those people who do not know Christ think about us and the Christ that we represent? They don't want anything to do with it. We damage the reputation of Jesus when we put our integrity in the back seat. So it's time to stop. Live in integrity. Be the magnet that people are attracted to because you're different. Be the person that when people interact with you, they say, What is it about this person? I want to be just like them. I want to know what they've got. I want to know what makes them so special. Be that person. Be the person that when you ask somebody to come to church with you on a Sunday morning, they jump at the opportunity because you're different than everybody else. Have integrity. Learn from Joseph. Today is the day of redemption. Today is the day where we can take our lives and say, God, I will follow you more closely here. Today is the day to make that choice. So where is God calling you to live a life of integrity? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for Joseph and the life he lived and the example that his life is to us. And God, our prayer this morning is that we would live like Joseph, that we would have integrity, even when integrity is difficult, when integrity is the last thing that we want to do. We pray that we would live in the integrity that you call us to. God, thank you. For providing us the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to follow you more closely. God, we are thankful today. And help us to be the men and women of God that you've called us to. We pray all this in Jesus' name, our Lord and our amazing Savior. Amen. Now is the time to respond. And I know that I have really driven home this idea. And I got really personal But it's time to make Jesus personal in our lives, isn't it? It's time that Jesus affects every aspect of who we are. And so today, maybe you need to respond to that. Maybe today you need to come and spend some time at the altar praying to your Lord about what that looks like in your life. Maybe you've got a struggle with integrity, something that I've mentioned or maybe something that God has revealed to you. Spend some time working through that with your Lord today. Maybe you want to know more about what this difference is between Jesus' followers and those who don't know Jesus. Maybe you want to know more about beginning a relationship with Jesus. Myself, I'm Pastor Chad, and Pastor Josh will be right up here at this front pew. We would love the opportunity to talk to you. So let's all stand and let's respond this morning.